From the self-help section to salons and gyms, from education to the corporate ladder, we're all seeking to become a better version of ourselves. But why is that? Where does this desire come from? Deep down, God has designed us with an inner longing to be deeply formed. This yearning is something ingrained in us that ultimately only discipleship to Jesus will satisfy. When you say yes to Jesus, you embark on a journey of spiritual formation that will shape, transform, and change you from the inside out. Today, Jesus is still calling disciples. Come, follow me, that all who draw near may be covered in dust. Good morning, Rise City Church. We are going to look at the Word today. If you don't know me, I'm Nolan. Nice to meet you. And uh, we're going to look at the Word today as regards this whole idea of spiritual formation in our lives. As she was just saying, we want to be formed. We want to become the people that God has designed us to be, and that's going to require that we become more like Jesus. But the problem is this. You and I in this generation are going to have a very hard time being fully and deeply formed into the likeness of Jesus. Because even though we pray things like Isaiah 40, this like famous prayer, like no weapon formed against me shall prosper, uh, we have a weapon formed against us every single day in our pockets right now. Don't you feel me on this? Like, like go ahead and touch that thing if it's in your pocket. Just give a little tap. Just a little reminder of the weapon formed against the formation of your soul, right? Like, we are the most hyper-connected generation that has ever graced the planet. And that's actually a very bad thing when it comes to spiritual formation. (laughs) Because we feel deeply connected. This is a kind of omnipresence with every person on the planet all at the same time constantly in our pocket. But... Despite all of that, we feel more isolated than ever. Like, why is that? It's because we live in a world of counterfeit connectivity. And I want to challenge all of that today. Today, what I want to do is convince you that this thing is isolating you. And even though we are connected to people, our hearts are longing for this true and real nearness. And that nearness can only be found as we get away from our connectivity and enter into solitude with Christ. Amen. And so here's what the, the today's message is called this, a case for authentic closeness in a world of counterfeit connectedness. Um, If you would open your Bibles, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 33. Uh, Last week, uh, Jason gave what was a powerful and very practical talk on silence and solitude, and we're going to continue talking about getting away and connecting with God today. But if you're looking for practicals, like what does this actually look like and how do I do it well, I actually want you to go on our website and I want you to look up Jason's message and I want you to listen to that message. He is going to show you the life of Jesus and how we can seek the face of the Father just like he did. It's super practical. Uh, But I'm going to be zero practical today. Like, all I want you to do is I want you to hear the beauty. I want you to know how wondrous it is to be in the presence of God. That's it. 
Because I am convinced that if I can compel you, if I can show you in the text of Scripture how amazing it is to just sit in the presence of God and to know who He is, then there's no amount of, uh, there's nothing in this world that I can do to stop you from getting into His presence practically. I want you to see how wondrous it is, and then I want you to go after it because it's worth it. I want you to go after Him because He's worth it. And so Exodus 33 last week, New Testament, we're kicking it old school. Okay, we're going to go Old Testament. This is a beautiful passage. You guys there? I love the sound of you guys flipping around in your physical Bibles. This is good. And so uh, here's where we're at in Exodus 33. Uh, The chapter prior was this. The people of God had abandoned and betrayed God. Moses, their leader, was up on a mountain meeting with God, getting the instructions for what's called the tabernacle, which is a meeting place where the white hot presence of God would dwell. And so he was up there getting these instructions for how to be present with God, and they utterly betray him. They literally like set up an idol, like a calf made of gold from all their jewelry, and they're like, well, we haven't seen Moses or God in a while. Why don't we party? And so they literally start throwing like ancient Jewish Mardi Gras and it's, it's a worship unto false deities. They're like not even joking about this. It's like really what happens and they are abandoning God. And so God's like, man, I'm done with my people. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this. Like, what are you talking about? And he's telling Moses what's going on down at the bottom of the mountain. And Moses takes God up on his challenge and where he's, where God is saying, man, I'm basically going to have to give up on my people. Moses presses in. And Moses says, God, and he begins to do what we call intercede or mediate. Ultimately, he's like a picture of Jesus, what Jesus is going to do later on, that he's between man and God saying, God, have mercy. And God is so desirous of having mercy on his people. He receives Moses's mediation and he's, he relents of his anger. And then ultimately the people repent. And now We're here in 33, and 33 is interesting, scholars will say, because it's kind of this interval space where the relationship had been broken. There isn't nearness because of that, but now we're in the space before God comes back in and says, man, you guys are my people, and I'm going to be close with you as we move towards the promised land. And it's this strange space where we get a picture of what it looks like to seek after with passion the presence of God. And so let's pick it up. And here's the first thing we're going to notice. The first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down is this. We must often withdraw from the world to grow in nearness with God. Moses is going to withdraw from the camp in order to gain nearness with God. Let's pick it up at verse seven. That's what it says. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. How many guys love camping? My campers? I hate camping, but I love you guys. He's he's going outside. He's getting away, right? Far off from the camp. It's doubly emphasized there, right? And he called it the tent of what? Meeting. There's this meeting place outside of the camp of God's people who had abandoned God. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. This is a really fascinating story. It's a strange story. You kind of get the picture. 
Well, this is what's interesting in biblical theology. Can you guys be scholars for like 30 seconds with me? This is a very unique setting in biblical theology. There's a big idea in scripture that in the beginning we were with who? God. That we walked with God in the cool of the day and then sin entered in and it broke our relationship with God and the yearning of the human heart constantly all through the people of God, all through redemption history is that we are trying to get back into his presence. And so God has given the people of God, Israel, his presence here in the desert. And so what he's doing in setting up this whole tabernacle thing, like I talked about, is meeting with them. It's supposed to be a place of meeting. But because of their sin, now there's not this meeting place. And yet here we get kind of a precursor to that meeting place. The tent of meeting was supposed to be in the middle of God's people. And here, where is this tent of meeting? Outside of God's people. It's a way. And so there's something really unique happening where the tabernacle isn't there, but the tent of meeting is. And Moses kind of sets it up and he uses it as a place to get away. To get away and to be in the presence of God. And this is a picture for us of personal revival. See, they had abandoned their faith in God. They had walked away from him. They had betrayed him. And Moses hadn't. And he is seeking the face of God. And he's experiencing something of a personal revival. And ultimately, we know that what Moses wants is for the people of God to experience what? Revival. And so he goes after personal revival first. You see, it's always personal revival that precedes public revival. We at this church, we exist to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. That's our mission statement. That's what we're doing here at Rise City Church. We're raising up disciples to go carry the presence of Jesus everywhere in our city. But here is the deal. If we want the people of our city to experience the presence of Jesus, we have to experience the presence of Jesus personally first. It's always personal revival that precedes the public revival out there. Here is my question for you. Are you going after that? Like, do you want the white hot presence, the real and experiential presence of Jesus in your life? Are you getting away to go out and seek God? Because in some sense, Moses here, this is a unique time in history, but it also speaks to the everyday life of the follower of Jesus, doesn't it? We should look look at what Martin Lloyd-Jones says, an amazing theologian. He writes this, when the Holy Spirit of God begins to deal with any one of us, there will be this separation. He's commenting on this passage, the separation, right? It will not be paraded. It will not be the Pharisees. I'm holier than thou. And so I'm getting out there in the woods and I'm meeting God over a cup of coffee. Look how holy I am, right? We don't do that, but Here's what happens. No, once a man begins to be burdened for the glory of God and for the state of the church or a woman, men and women become burdened for the glory of God and the state of the church. He immediately feels the call to consecration. He goes out as it were. Let me ask you, are you going out? Do you get away to spend time with God? And this is very important. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but at Rise City Church, we, we love leaders. Amen? We like leadership here at Rise. We are constantly raising up leaders. I think that, that, that the, the groundswell of how many of you guys are leading and serving on Sunday and leading and serving middle of the week is incredible. I love it. It gets me fired up. But here's the deal. When we step into leadership for the Lord, 
when we step into influencing others, and maybe you're not even serving at this church, but you're a follower of Jesus, and you want the lost people at, at, your, at your school, at your workplace, wherever, to come to know Jesus. But the question really is this. Are you a person that is actually chasing after Jesus yourself? By example, we have to have this authentic space. Look at verse 8. It says, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the what? People. All the other people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door. And then later on in the passage, we see that this, this, this is mentioned again in verse 10. Looking down, it says, And when all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and what? Worship each at his tent door. Look at me. If you are a leader, if you are a parent, if you are uh, trying to lead lost people to Jesus, who, whoever you are in here, if you want to have any degree of influence, lead by example. Like you have a person. We say, hey, I want my kid to, to follow after Jesus. I want my littles to, to go into the kids' ministry and to sing and to bounce and to love Jesus and to memorize Bible verses. But bro, are you memorizing Bible verses? I want my, I want my, um, my kids to, to read their Bible and to value a devotional time. Do you have a devotional time? Will your kids, after they graduate, remember their time in your home and look back and say, man, I remember my dad always read the scriptures. I remember that my mom was just constantly praying she was seeking. There was, a, there was a culture of intimacy with God in our home. And, and listen to me, that is going to be the thing that speaks to them more than all the church services. That is going to be the thing that speaks to them more than all the little youth camps you paid for. And I want you to pay for all the youth camps, okay, folks? Like, it's a big deal for me to say this right now. Like, please play, pay for youth camp. Pay for other kids. You know, we can, we can, can barely keep up with all the kids. But look, is there revival happening in your heart? Is there revival happening in your home? This is what's going to speak volumes to them. Donald Whitney says this, without silence and solitude, we can be active, but shallow. But he's not here to just like make us feel really sad about ourselves. Like I'm an active, but shallow, lame loser. He invites us to experience this. He goes on, without exception, the men and women I have known who've made the most rapid, consistent, and evident growth in Christ-likeness have been those who develop a daily time of being alone with God. You're, you're invited in, friends. You are invited in to be formed deeply in the private place with God, experiencing revival there daily in your devotional time. But I don't just want you to do this because, you know, we do this by example. Moses led, they followed. Is that the motivation for why we should seek God's face? Is that the motivation for silence and solitude? I think it's a good thing to consider and to realize that we are an example. However, it's, it's not the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason you should seek after the presence of God, why you should have silence and solitude and all that stuff, is that there is nothing more precious than being in God's presence. That's why. Look at verse 9. There's nothing more precious than this. Like we have God on offer. It says this. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses 
face to face. As a man speaks to his friend, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Uh, so catch the, the kind of visual here, right? So you have Moses going to this tent of meeting. And we have to wonder, um, was this tent of meeting an aberration from God's intent? Uh, and meaning this, like, was the tent of meeting just something Moses was trying out? Like, I'm going to create a tent of meeting. It's not the tabernacle, but I'm going there anyway. And God's not necessarily blessing that and showing up for him. In fact, all the scholars ask that, like, is this a legit thing? Well, we find out that it absolutely is. Because the tent of meeting was not significant, and it was not a tent of meeting simply because they called it so. It wasn't because Moses was like, hey, God, you know, we should meet God here. It's just an idea. No, no, no. This tent of meeting was the real thing because God himself showed up there. Like God showed up, and he shows up in this pillar of cloud. This pillar of cloud. Now, what in the world is the pillar of cloud, folks? Like... What is that? Um, you know, like, you know, if reading this as like a teenager, I'm like, oh, pillar of cloud. Like, I know what that is. Like, meeting with God. Got it. Like the Hebrew, you know, they were crazy back then. No, man, like what's happening here is we see that God's manifest presence comes down in some shape or form to show his glory. Uh, this is actually a big biblical thing in Exodus. It's a pattern over and over that when God shows up, oftentimes for these people, they're seeing some manifestation of glory that represents the presence of God. Uh, if you watch the Charles, uh, you know, uh, Char- uh, what's his name? Charlton Heston, right? The like very handsome, like 19, like 50s dude, right? The old Moses guy. Um, so he, 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 like, what you see is that he falls upon a burning bush out there in the desert, right? And the thing doesn't get burned up, but it's fire, right? And fire and smoke and all of this. And, and there he talks with God. And then later on in um, Exodus chapter 13, when the people are delivered out of slavery and following the presence of God, what do they see? Well, they see a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And then furthermore, in chapter 19, when Moses is up there on the mountain with God, we see that God's intense presence is demonstrated through thunder and lightning and thick cloud. And so there are these demonstrations of like, I'm here with you guys. And so they're seeing this often. And here in this passage, we see that same pillar show up. Um, But man, is this interesting. I want you to see uh, that In this cloud, uh, we could get off on a tangent here and be like, well, the cloud itself is the thing then, right? Like, that's what's really cool. In fact, there are even um, some Christians who are really passionate about the presence of God, which is an amazing thing. Uh, But for that reason, there are total tribes that are like, we're going to chase after glory clouds. And we need to see God show up in signs. And we need to see him show up in wonders. And all of those things happen, like the idea that God can work miracles is a thing, but it's not an end in and of itself. In fact, the beautiful thing here is not that God is working a miracle, but that God shows up. Miracles are amazing. I'm all for miracles. If you can, you know, if you see a miracle or seen a miracle, come tell me about it. I'm be excited, right? All for miracles, but miracles in and of themselves point to something infinitely greater. The white, hot, and real presence of God in his full nature with us. That's what a miracle is for. And that's what they see here, that God shows up. In fact, that tent of meeting, 
in and of itself was nothing unless God was there. And Moses goes to this tent of meeting, and I love what one commentator writes. He says, Moses' tent did not become a true meeting place simply because it was named so. No, it became that because God actually came there to meet Moses, displayed by the pillar of cloud. Look, we are not a church of Christians because we put Rise City Church on there. Like, we are not a church because we have a, you know, a clean logo that d- demonstrates that we are a church. Not because we have nonprofit status. Not because we open services on a Sunday. We are a church if and only if the presence of God is upon us. If we are a people, what makes Christians special, by the way, is not because we're like super duper moral people. I know some of you guys, all right? And like... <laughs> I know myself, as I, I've shared numerous times, that like we're a jacked up people that desperately need grace. So what's special about us is not that we're better or more moral people. That's not what we're after. What is special about the people of God here in this text and today in this church is we are a people who seek the face of Jesus and his presence is actually with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, what we see is that the power of the early church was not in their programs. It was not in their slick advertisements. It was not in the dope videos. And I am super for all the cool videos we have here at Rise and and, and all the things that we do. Like I'm for church in the park. But listen, if God doesn't show up, it's all worthless. If you don't know God, man, like what we have on offer is we get God. God, that's the glory. Like, you want clouds, folks. Like, you want a pillar of smoke. You want clouds? Like, we live in Portland. We got plenty of clouds for you here. It's amazing. But man, what's beautiful and what's desirable is not the miracle in and of itself, but the God who is underneath and behind the miracle you get, God. And so I want to talk to you even just about this, this idea of Christian hedonism, which is a very pretentious sounding phrase. Pretentious also sounds pretentious. It's a very like snooty sounding phrase, like <laughs> hedonism. <laughs> like twi- twi- that was my mustache this time, not a joint. <laughs> but like the idea of hedonism is this philosophical thing where we're saying we chase after the highest pleasure. And so a hedonist uh, is somebody who chases after drugs, sex, and rock and roll, right? Like I'm going after what feels good in the moment. Uh, John Piper has coined this phrase Christian hedonism to say Actually, the hedonist is not that far off. The hedonist is chasing after pleasure, and that's actually what we're created for. They're just chasing after the wrong and lesser pleasure. That ultimately the greatest pleasure is knowing and being in the presence of God. And so we should chase after him. Verse 9 tells us what it's like when we do. It tells us, and the Lord would speak with Moses. But God wants to speak with you. God spoke with Moses here in a beautiful way. Verse 11 tells us, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. In fact, the word for presence in this passage, if your presence doesn't go with us, we'll read in a moment. That word, the way that it's phrased in the Hebrew is actually if your face doesn't go with us. That's how they would say presence. It's like face to face, nearness. Um, Numbers 12.8 is kind of a commentary on what Moses experienced in his life and the beautiful nature of having a relationship with God. Uh, it kind of speaks about this saying, with him I speak mouth to mouth. This is God talking. 
He speaks to Moses mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? What Moses had is the very thing that all of us long for, that we want to experience nearness. We want to experience being known. We want to be near someone and your soul is aching to know God alone. That's what you're longing for. And I want you to see Joshua here. A moment ago, we saw that Joshua took what the people did in seeing Moses and then worshiping like Moses, following his example. Joshua, if, if he's following Moses' example, took what the people did and made it varsity. Look at verse 11. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, I'll lean into this, would not depart from the tent. That was beautiful. He was like, Moses, you figured out the thing. And I'm staying right here. I'm not going anywhere. This would be like, I don't know, we, we, you know, Jason gets up to do announcements. Brother is in the back, like still hanging on to the worship song, right? Hands and knees, just like, I, I'm not getting up. Like I'm in the presence of God, you know, like just ignoring the videos, ignoring the teaching, just like I got to be here with God. I got to seek his face. I can't go anywhere. I just got to be with God. That's what Joshua is doing here. How cool is that? There's something very beautiful about experiencing and encountering the presence of God because there's no more desirable place than to be found in the presence of God. This is almost romantic. Make you guys a little bit uncomfortable. This is almost romantic. And what I mean is the nature of the relationship between God and humanity is one of intimacy. Like later in the New Testament, we find that the relationship between Jesus and his church is, is compared to the relationship between a husband and his bride. It's to be this relationship that is deeply intimate with God. And so there's even kind of a tension here. Um, in fact, if you zoom out from the story that the people of God have betrayed God and they're kind of in this, this limbo space and, and later on the covenant is going to be renewed after this chapter. So God's saying, no, you are my people. But here's where they're at right now. Like you ever get in a, like a fight with your spouse or something like that and like one maybe wronged the other and there is this weird tension in the air. I know you guys aren't sinners. And I've never done this, but like there's this weird tension. And what it's describing here is almost like this dance between lovers where um, realizing how badly they missed one another or, or he, you know, she missed him. She's like, the people of God here are like, like soaking in, in, in the beauty of his presence saying, man, I missed you. Like, I want you. I want to be near you. I think um, probably some, uh, a good line, a good uh, phrase for this is encapsulated well by that great theologian, Juice World. You, get, you guys know who Juice World is? All the t- teenagers and young adults are laughing. Juice World is not a theologian. He's a hip-hop, the late hip-hop artist. Uh, he's the uh, hip-hop artist that all of your, if you have teenagers, they're listening to. And so I listen to Juice World because, I'm, you know, t- to help like frame sermons better for the youth, you know. It's not because I like him. <laughs> Technically, cannot recommend. There's some swearing and stuff. He said he says this in one of his popular songs. She told me put my heart in the bag, and nobody gets hurt. I'm gonna do it. Now I'm running from her love. 
I'm not fast, so I'm making it worse. You guys feel uncomfortable? That's my goal. Worship, worship band, that's my tryout right there. The old hip-hop was like gangster rap. You guys remember this? My 90s kids, back in the day, it was Biggie Smalls. It was like all the bad rap. I probably shouldn't even reference them, right? But like it was gangster. It was like, man, I've got guns, I've got money, and I'm, you know, like, I'll take you out. Like, it's like it's a, it was like a hood thing, right? But like today, today's hip-hop is like vulnerable. It's really different. It's, it's almost emo, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's like desperate for love. And I actually really like today's hip-hop in, in poetic lyrics like this because I think it better represents the true nature of the human heart. We're not a people that need power and, to, and, and, and you know, roll on dubs and have, like, chains and all this stuff. We are a people who are most desperate for love. And so this, this vulnerability that we see in songs like this actually speaks to, like, we need to know God. Your soul will never truly be satisfied until you found love in him. And so we go on and we see that um, Moses decides that even the promised land itself, which is like the whole movement of Exodus is trying to get them into this promised land. And the promised land is a place of flowing with milk and honey. And it's like all these pictures of like basically Eden, the paradise where they were with God. And this place, this promised land is where they're going to go. And it's going to be essentially the kingdom. But Moses looks at the prospect and God and God and him are going through this prospect of like, hey, you guys go ahead and go to the promised land, God says, essentially. And Moses goes, even if you're offering heaven to me, I don't want to go there if you're not there. And so what we learn, if you're taking notes, is utopia itself Utopia, a heaven, a perfect space is worthless if it lacks God's closeness. There's nowhere worth going without God's guidance. There's nothing worth doing if God doesn't show up there. We desperate for the presence of God. Verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. He's, he's referencing back to like verse one through three. And in verse one through three, God literally says, go ahead and go to the promised land without me. And he's saying, but who's going to go with me? You see, he goes on. Um, Yet you have said, I know you by name and you, you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, this is God now, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The Moses is like, I don't, I don't want to go to the promised land without you. And God says, so I'll go with you, Moses. But there's this interesting like back and forth kind of tense dialogue between Moses and God. He's almost too bold in, in how he approaches God here. And Moses kind of gives this soft correction, almost like God, he's mediating for the people in verse 15. It says, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up for here, from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I, and not just me, God, and your people Still saying, we all need your presence, God. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, and I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? You see what Moses is doing here? He's saying, like, we need you, God. We need you more than your stuff. We need you more than your place. Because a place is only sacred if God shows up there. 
A people are only sacred, God, if you are among us. And so the the dialogue, verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you know, um, he's basically saying, go with us. And then in verse 13, he's saying, I need your guidance. And this is interesting. Look again, it says, now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. I love this. And I think there's some application here. He's saying, there's no endeavor worth doing if you're not part of it. But the question here, he's saying like, he's like, I need your guidance. I need your ways. I need your wisdom. The question for us is, do we seek the wisdom of God like that? Like you have big decisions to make. You have decisions to make about where you will live and where you will work and what you're going to do as far as parenting or what you must do now that it's a divorce or what does it look like uh, in this next season and where are your kids going to go to school in the fall and what bank should you open up and what, you know, what, what, you know, should you buy crypto or like not buy crypto, right? Like all that stuff. You guys are getting stressed out just thinking about this, man. Like, do you ask God for his wisdom and his favor and all of those things? The truth is that there's not going to be a verse in the Bible that tells you whether you should do certain things. There's not going to be a verse on like, you know, your investments and crypto and which model of car you should buy. But you know that God is inviting you today to like invite him into every single one of those decisions. Do you make decisions without asking God? Do you make decisions without seeking his wisdom? Often our best decisions come out of a relationship with God where we ask him we go to him, where we seek wisdom. And so Moses says, don't take us to this place unless you're going there with us. And he says, not just me, Lord, with us. This is what's fascinating. We live in a world that, that literally is chasing after the opposite of this idea. We live in a world that is basically chasing after a utopia. You guys know the phrase progress. Like, we all need to be chasing after progress because we're progressive here in the Pacific Northwest. Like, we're just really progressive people. You know, we're trying to figure it out. And what we mean by that is we are trying to basically create heaven on earth because that's the whole idea of progress, right? Things get better. And so what we're chasing after is a kind of promised land of our own. This is a very ancient idea, but it's very present today. You guys ever uh, remember that show, uh, Portlandia? They did like a movie, like a series about us, you know, and it wasn't comedy. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But like Portlandia, right? What is the, the theme of Portlandia? It, or the like kind of motto. It's like the dream of the 90s is alive in Portland, right? And you're like, I don't know if I want the 90s again. But like we're chasing after this dream. We're trying to integrate our lives in a holistic way so that we have our world mastered. We chase after security and peace. We chase after good food and drink. We want all the hip restaurants right here. We want all of the entertainment. We want our world to make sense. We want to manage our own safety through all the little cameras that we buy and the fences that we build and the security systems. We want money, technology, and power, and justice, and equity, and peace. But we want to build it all without God. We are trying a a social experiment to say, can we have utopia without any semblance of the word of God or the presence of God? Can we just be God and create our own world? This is the way Mark Sayers puts it. He says, today we want the kingdom without the king. I remember uh, 
wanting to move down to Sacramento, California with Lindsay, my wife, to uh, basically we were going to go help with this church plant. And they were um, revitalizing and all this stuff. And then I started like looking up what Sacramento, California was like. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. You know, like the first thing Google is telling me is like, well, shooting last week and like all of this stuff. And like, oh my gosh, there's crime and crime is going crazy in Sacramento. So I'm like Googling this stuff like, I'm supposed to like go do church down there. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. Seems really unsafe. This seems kind of gangster. This isn't like Juice World kind of gangster, like hip hop. This is like Biggie Smalls kind of stuff, Tupac kind of stuff. And so I'm looking at it like, oh man. And I remember I had been talking to my wife's uncle, our pastor at the time, a guy named Frank. And I sat down with Uncle Frank and I was like, yeah, man, I was going to go do this, but I'm like kind of scared now. I don't want to go, like, I'm not in a gang. Like, I don't want to die. And I'll never forget what he looked back across that coffee table and told me. He said this. He said, man, you can go to all the most dangerous parts of the world. You can go to a country where they hate Christians are going to kill you. But you are never safer than when you're smack dab in the will of God. Listen, whatever you're going through, I'm not saying that there won't be real dangers and that you might actually suffer. That's a real thing. However, it is better to suffer and to, and to struggle in the presence and in the will of God than go to the safest places you can imagine. It is better to know God. It is better to be in his will. That's the place we are most safe. And so we should never want to go somewhere God is not. It, it, to, to reference one more song here, uh, there's this like emo band called Armor for Sleep. Did I, do I have any like former emo fans up in here? Hey, what's up? <laughs> Let's go. If you don't know emo, it's like really cringy music that's super emotional. And that's what we call it, emo. And so they write this. It's literally like this, this song is amazing because the guy is like talking about if he had died, right? And he comes back to basically in a romantic way haunt this girl he was with. <laughs> so but, I, but I promise it's so good. Listen, he says this. I... <laughs> I'm not going to sing this time. <laughs> I'm running out of time. Here's what it says. I came down here to tell you it rains in heaven all day long. I want to find you so bad and let you know I'm miserable up here without you. Miserable up here without you. Fellas, like if you're looking to like swoon a girl or whatever, <laughs> like here's some lines right here. I found my way back in the dark tonight. Couldn't wake up not right next to you. I'd trade in forever to just hear you say the sound of my name. And why is that so chilling? Why does that make the hairs on the back of your arm stand up? Partly because it's a little cringy, okay? <laughs> like it's a little much. But like partly because we actually long for a love like that that can only be found with God alone. He's, he is the lover of our souls. King's Kaleidoscope, uh, uh, we'll do a worship band this time, uh, writes this. When the lightnings flash and thunders roar and the storms in fury beat, when they seem so sure to engulf my soul, then I'll hide in your safe retreat. Soon the storms will pass and the sky will clear and my rest be calm and sweet. 
I will trust and wait with no anxious fear for I'll hide in your safe retreat. It's the presence of God, you guys. It's the nearness of God. Like, like there is no place I'd rather be than in the presence of God. That's the yearning of the Christian soul. And if you're not a believer today, you are invited into the deepest kind of love. You are invited today into the presence of Jesus. I want to conclude with this final thought. Um, we have to ask the question, uh, how do I get the presence of God? The answer to that is clearly and simply believing in the gospel. Because ultimately, we do not get the presence of God through pillars of clouds or like sparkly dust or like tinglys even from very beautiful songs and worship music. All of that, uh, you know, worship music is a really great thing. But it's not from the tinglys that we find God, is it? No, we find the presence of God. We experience the presence of God by knowing the nature of God in his word. That's where we find him. Exodus 33, 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. You see how God was just trying to get Moses to ask him to show grace to his people? This is actually God's idea. God is the one who's merciful. God is the one who wants to save his people. He is a savior. So he's, you know, uh, for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Verse 18, Moses said, okay, then please show me your glory. You want to see the glory of God? Verse 19, he says, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim, notice this, before you my name, the Lord. That's his personal name, by the way. Like, like, you know, it's like Jonathan. No, 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 it's Johnny, right? Like, it's this intimate name. Don't call me, don't call me Pastor Nolan. Call me Nolan, because I don't even like that anyways. Like, it's this personal thing, and God is saying, this is my personal name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. This is what God is like, you guys. He's saying, in my name, you also find my nature. He is the God who you know personally, and he is the personal God who wants to show you grace. Like for whatever sin you have committed, he wants to show you his love, right? And so he says, I'm gracious to all, be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for a man not sh shall not see and live. In other words, like you can't even look at God. He's so holy. We would die in his presence because of our lack of holiness. This is how messed up our sin is. There is real justice against our sin. But the good news is that the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of God, is that we have a gracious God in heaven who doesn't just look past our sin because it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. And God demonstrates his nature in this. He sent his only son, the second person of the Godhead, God himself wrapped in flesh, came to die in our place for our sin, to deal with the sin problem and to show you his love. The gospel demonstrates the nature of God by a bloody savior who died for you on a cross. And so we know Jesus, not because we feel tinglys, which if you're feeling tinglys, awesome, but like we know who he is and therefore we have him. That's what gives us knowledge of God and the presence of God. George Whitfield, he is this, you guys know who George Whitfield is, anybody? He's a guy from church history. Uh, a topic I love a lot. He was a, an evangelist 
Um, and he was preaching in like cornfields, and the masses were coming to know Jesus. And it was an awesome thing. But public revival is one thing. Personal revival, getting alone with God, knowing him in the quiet place is another thing, a more important thing. And the great George Whitfield, we actually have some of his diaries. Well, I love this kind of stuff. And in one of his diaries, we can actually read of an experience that he had, not just showing Jesus to other people, but knowing God personally. And this is literally from his diary. It's 1739, George Whitfield writes this. God was pleased to pour out into my soul, alone in a cabin, right? He's all alone. God was pleased to pour out into my soul a great spirit of supplication, that is prayer, and a sense of his free and distinguishing mercies so filled me with love, humility, and joy, and holy confusion. What is that like? Holy confusion. That I could at last only pour out my heart before him in an awful silence. He's in the presence of God. Holy confusion, just considering who God is and his nature. And he just does nothing. I just have to fall silent. You ever been there? We should go there. I was so full that I could not well speak. Oh, the happiness of communion with God. You know, you can become a person who is shaped by communion with God alone, where you go out in the morning with coffee, of course, and you meet with God, sit in the silence. We're going to sing the nature of God in just a moment, that he's our shepherd. In this time, in this space, maybe you, maybe you've never done this, but do it for the first time. I know we're together here, but you can almost tune everybody out. Go in. Ask God, show me your glory. I want to know you. I want to spend time with you. Let it shape you, change you. Isn't that awesome? Lord, I thank you so much for your presence. God, I, I even right now, um, I shall speak to you guys with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Um, I want you to, if you're a believer and you've done this, think of those times when you've been alone with God. As we're kind of quieting our hearts for prayer and worship, where have you met God? I remember being with him for the very first time at a youth camp when I was 16, sitting in the sunshine, and God breaking, cutting through even the goodness of the sunshine and saying, there's more good here beginning to speak to me for the first time. When was that for you? If you're here seeking, what is God about? Right now, this could be your moment. Lord, invade this space. Lord, would you move into our hearts right now? God, we know you're everywhere, of course. God, would you be somewhere right now? Would you be in us? Um, we receive you, Lord. I pray that you would train us to be a people who are addicted to your presence, who just long to know you. 
that we would yearn for you, God, that we would, there would be something poetic that comes out of the human heart inside of us that says, I just, I just need you. Who have I in heaven but you, God? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God, we say hallelujah to the presence of God right now. God, we welcome you. God, you don't even need our welcome, but we invite you. We want you here. We just want to say it to you. We really want you here, God. We love you, Jesus. Invade this place. Move into hearts. Change souls. In Jesus' name, amen.